It's it's amazing what can change in a week. In the beginning, everybody just kind of was like, wash your hands, stop being dirty and a walking germ, right? And then all these travel bans started happening. And then a week later, it was like, okay, you're on lockdown. Last year, I traveled for about half of the year for work. And at the end of the year, I told my husband, I was like, you know, that was, that was fun, but it was a little much. I would like a little less travel. And my wish has come true. <laughs> no, every, everyone's got, every, everyone's bored enough to try that thing that they've always wanted to try, but haven't had a chance. So it's, it's, it's go time for the world right now, you know? This sounds ridiculous, but I feel like I've rediscovered physical books. It's a lot of pajamas. Who knows what's going to happen because we're all at home. I am kind of happy just not seeing anyone. Um, it's kind of just nice being around family. I mean, we hadn't seen family for over six months, so enjoying all of that, enjoying taking time to bake bread and do yoga and sit in the garden and kind of enjoy the slower things in life, I think um, has been has been really good, to be honest. It's like, oh, me and my sister spent two hours in the grocery store and we were like, why are we still here? We're like, because this has been our only outing the whole week. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, gosh, we took going to the grocery store for granted. You know, there's two types of people. Either this really weighs you down, in which case, you know, it's normal. It's okay. It's This is not our normal situation. It's not good to be too strict with yourself if you're having a hard time. But at the same time, there's other types of people, and I quite belong to that group, which you make the best of what you've got. Alpaca Pals, hello. I hope all of you are doing as well as is possible in times like these. Here in Toronto, I am on week seven of social distancing. It's officially day 59. I have had a lot of time to think about travel, global travelers, including influencers and writers whose careers revolve around travel, have all been grounded. And I'll admit, at first, when COVID-19 took hold, I figured that the lockdown would be temporary. I don't think I was alone in this assumption. But of course, it's become more obvious that this will likely be ongoing, and it's going to have lasting impacts on travelers and on the travel industry. So I wanted to get in touch with travelers from around the world to hear about their experiences, to try to understand the challenges that travelers and travel industry folks are facing, and to hear what they expect travel might be like post-lockdown. I talked with travelers from the UK, Hong Kong, the US, Europe, and Canada. We're going to hear about how they repatriated, what the lockdown looks like in their current locations, what they've been doing with their lockdown time, and what they expect for the future of travel. Where were you when... Because I'll say, like, most people I've talked to now have said that one minute everything was okay, and then they woke up one day and it was like shit had entirely hit the fan. So where were you <laughs> when shit hit the fan? <laughs> 
So I was actually in Ireland when the travel ban was announced. I am Teresa Christine. I am a freelance travel writer and the co-host of the Wild and Curious podcast. Once we got to Ireland, you know, the first couple days we were in Belfast and it was quickly, everyone was talking about it. Every tour guide that we had and every place you would go into, there were hand sanitizer stations. There were signs that were up, like very bright yellow signs about COVID-19 by, I guess it was Wednesday the 11th, that's when... Trump announced this travel ban and it was kind of like, okay, this is a very bad situation. And But that last day when, when we were in Dublin, our tour guide was like, guys, they're closing stuff. You know, I don't know if bars are going to be open. I don't know if restaurants are going to be open. Buy some food at a grocery store and bring it back to your hotel just in case. You know, it was it was very clear that people were really worried about stuff. So at the time, I had literally just got from Trinidad Carnival and I had a week in between and I came back from Trinidad Carnival sick. This is Martinique Lewis. She's a travel content creator and travel consultant. And um, I didn't necessarily think anything of it because I'm like, it's Trinidad Carnival. I'm coming from a hot climate back to the cold. Like, I'm just sick. So I thought nothing of it. So I got better. I came back the next Monday. And then Tuesday, they were like, we're not working in death. Well, we're not working until now, March. And then we were like, okay, I mean, until April. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter because I'm about to leave anyways. And I was going for three weeks. Um, So I had my friend's wedding in the UK. Then I was going from the UK, South, South um, England, back up to London for like a day. Then I had a press trip to Palma, Spain. And then I came back for two days and I was doing this um, guest lecture at the University of Surrey for like four days. And then I was coming back to America for like a week. Then I was going to Mauritius in Africa. From there, I was supposed to go on a press trip to the Faroe Islands and then from there to Jamaica. So my whole world came crashing down because this is six trips all of a sudden in six days that have been canceled. So my name is Nicoletta. I'm currently in Madrid, Spain. I'm from Slovakia, raised in Austria, have family in both places, so sort of connected to all three. And uh, I write Sustainable Bratislava, which is sort of a research experiment in which I try to study, I study sustainable tourism. I don't try, I really do. Um, And then I take Bratislava is a case study to explore how sustainable tourism applies to a real destination. So we've been talking for, I don't even know now, many months just through Instagram. And it's really exciting to talk to you in person. So I know that Spain has been hard hit. Where were you when you started to realize that this pandemic was really there and going to have an impact? So I was actually in Berlin. I was I went there for ITB, which is the tourism trade show. And the ITB was cancelled, but I still went because we had all the tickets paid, hustle paid, and uh, we wouldn't get any refund from the insurance companies. So 
I was in Berlin and the day I realized was the day before I was supposed to come back to Spain. And I was calling with my parents and trying to decide, should I go to Spain? At the time, Spain had around 600 cases. Or should I go to Austria to spend time with my parents instead? Because we didn't know how it was going to develop. I chose to go to Madrid and then I got stuck here. So I'm not sure if it was the right decision. It was a decision that I took at the time. And uh, yeah, now I'm living through with it. Hey, I'm Charlie. I'm a travel blogger at charlieontravel.com and I write about uh, sustainable and eco-friendly travel. So I follow you on Instagram and I remember seeing that you were crossing the border from Ecuador to Peru. That was the the first moment that I was like, oh, I wonder what they're going to do. Um, because I had started hearing that borders were closing in South America. And in following your story, I know that you subsequently got uh, trapped in quarantine in Peru. Do you want to tell us about what that experience was like, about how the news developed and at what point you realized that you might have to end your trip and go home? So uh, we crossed the border from Ecuador to Peru about three weeks ago. Um, and that was before the South American countries had decided whether or not to close their borders. And it was still in discussion. We actually left on the 90th day of our visa. And for a British person in Ecuador, you only have 90 days. So we had no choice about crossing into Peru um, because there was still no instructions from the government and no quarantine in either Ecuador or Peru at the time. Uh, and then pretty much the, the next day when we woke up, um, we had an announcement from the Peruvian government that quarantine would be starting that same evening, um, which was, I can't remember the date, but about two weeks ago, just over two weeks ago from now. And uh, so we had no choice. We were stuck in uh, Juarez, whether we wanted to be or not. Um, and the quarantine was initially just 14 days in Peru, but it was extended another 12 days uh, when that 14 days ended. So we spent just over two weeks um, stuck in Juarez, not moving anywhere. Um, fortunately, we had a nice Airbnb apartment with um, some nice views of the mountains, but we literally saw nothing of Peru, only <laughs> only two night buses and then the rest of the time uh, just in a, an apartment, uh, Airbnb apartment in quarantine. And how, what was the, like, how were locals treating foreigners? I guess you wouldn't have had that much interaction aside from going to the grocery store. But if you can share, like, any experiences based on that. I, it was an interesting situation because when we first crossed over before the quarantine, everyone was really super friendly and great. And then as soon as the lockdown was put in place, uh, mostly it seems like locals were quite concerned about the fact that we were foreign. Um, all of a sudden, even though, you know, it was only, like, 24 hours difference or 48 hours difference uh, and just generally gave you like a really wide berth a much wider berth on the streets than they would give each other uh, which I suppose is completely legitimate like if they were concerned we might have flown over from Europe recently which is an entire possibility then maybe that, that would seem like a valid reason for concern and my partner and I we'd been traveling already for six months in South America so actually we'd only been in Colombia and Ecuador um, beforehand uh, but otherwise, our Airbnb host was the most gracious and amazing um, person ever. He was just really friendly and helpful the whole time, sent us updated uh, rules from the Peruvian government uh, with an English translation, because um, sometimes the Spanish news sources are quite difficult to understand if your Spanish isn't fluent. Um, so that was really helpful for us. And actually, at the end of the 14 uh, days, the initial 14 days when the extension was added, 
he uh, said that we were welcome to stay in the apartment for free for as long as the quarantine continued in Peru. Hello, everyone. My name is Kevin Wagger. I write for the family travel, uh, family adventure travel website, wanderingwaggers.com. I'm based out of Toronto, Ontario. So I'm going to dive right in. You and your entire family were in Egypt when shit hit the fan. I know. So tell us about before you left for the trip, um, if you were concerned at all, how aware you were, and if you had thought about the fact that you might need to cut the trip early. Is that something that crossed your mind before you guys departed for the trip? When we left, I should say, for a trip to Egypt, we, you know, th- there were there was talk about some things happening in China and moving to Italy a little bit, uh, but there wasn't a lot of information on exactly what was happening, how bad the spread was, how bad, you know, how infectious it was. Uh, so we decided that we were going to continue with our trip and then, you know, deal with things as they progressed while we were there and while we were there, I mean, we, there wasn't really a lot of information. We surely, we surely didn't see a lot of self isolation, uh, isolation while we were there. Uh, there were, you know, they, Egypt did shut the schools down while we were there, but that was about the only reaction that we had heard of. And so were you there, you left early. So how did, how did it all unravel? Like w- did the government tell you that you should come home early? Did you just decide yourself to come home early? How did that all pan out? Uh, what happened was uh, it all happened on about a, a six-hour drive from Luxor to the town of Hergada on the edge of the Red Sea. We were we were on the drive, and there wasn't a lot of cell service uh, while we were there. But as we got close to town... Uh, our, our phone started to ring and, uh, and we, you know, we checked the messages and said, Hey, you know, check the news, news wires. And, you know, there's something, there's a big announcement coming from the Canadian prime minister. And there's a big announcement coming from the Egyptian, uh, president within, you know, just a couple of hours each of each other. So the first one we heard was the, uh, Canadian one, which is, uh, you should start thinking about coming home. So, you know, we looked at our timeline. We said, okay, we've got, you know, six more, six or seven more days in the country. Uh, how serious do we need to take this? So we, we contacted the company that we were working with while we were over there. It's a company called Travel Line Egypt and uh, said, hey, you know, based on this information, we should maybe make some, you know, plan B's in the off chance that we got to bug out of here. And uh, they were really good about it and started looking at some information. Uh, and then a couple of hours later, uh, the announcement came from the Egyptian prime minister, which said, in 48 hours, we will be shutting down all airspace within the country. And that was our notice that said, well, it doesn't matter what Canada is saying. We got to get, <laughs> get the hell out of here. Um, we just got an email one morning. Uh, we happened to wake up at half seven on a Saturday morning. I checked my email (laughs) around eight in the morning just by coincidence and had an email from the foreign office telling us that at 10.30 that morning we needed to get on a bus um, to Lima uh, because they were going to repatriate us and that there would be a flight out for us. Um, They couldn't give us any details about, you know, the flight number, the flight time, where it would be flying to, Um, just that there would be a flight going UK bound and it would be in the next couple of days that we'd be on. I mean, my partner and I, one of the reasons that we... uh, 
just got on the, the <laughs> just got on the flight as we were told to was thinking that you know the situation could easily go on three to six months that no one no one has any kind of definite time scale on it so hong kong got their first case i think in late january this is lily she's based in hong kong and she writes the blog lily wonders when that happened it was actually incredible like the, the mobilization that the hong kong people did like with or without the government telling them what to do they were like ready like a, like the first three days like people were already putting on masks and i went down to the subway and i was just like whoa like 70 percent of people are wearing masks it was just it was just crazy that it was like a switch because i think that hong kong still remembers has so much historical memory from the effect of SARS. And I think as a result, that memory of those actions are still there. And all it took was the correct trigger to like bring everyone back into the behaviors that they were doing before. So um, for many, many, many weeks, Hong Kong managed to have a, a curve that was was essentially flattened. Like we we hung between 100 and 200 cases for like three to four weeks. And there are a lot of signs everywhere saying you have to wear a mask. And this is a common practice that's been adopted in other countries that are very close to Hong Kong. So other jurisdictions like Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, generally the government advice is to wear a mask when when you're out in public. And people don't really trust the government in Hong Kong anyway, but I think people feel like it's their social responsibility. They feel like it's a social duty to do what they can to be careful, practice higher hygiene, etc. So, um, but like we're not on lockdown. Um, so it wasn't until like the past one and a half weeks that we start to get a lot of imported cases from people in Europe. I think a lot of Hong Kongers who are studying abroad in Europe or um in general, people are just coming back to Hong Kong. So now we're actually on a new wave of cases because of people coming back from not China, but elsewhere. And I think now, as of, I think, like today, um, the government has mandated that groups of four or more are not allowed. And uh, most restaurants are operating at half capacity and they're spacing people out. Um, but we're not we're not a mandatory lockdown or anything like that. So I can still go out and sort of live my life the best that I can. This is just not their first rodeo. So it's like, it's like riding a bike. It's just like, even if you haven't ridden a bike for many, many years, if you get on one, you, you still remember what, what to do. And um, here, like people remember what to do. And what, can you describe your life right now? What kind of space are you living in? Are you living with other people? Have you been able to leave your apartment at all? Set the scene for us. So I live alone. I have an apartment in the suburbs of Madrid in a modern area. It's very calm. If you imagine Spain, this is the opposite of Spain. So today is the 25th day. Um, and yes, I've been completely alone on, in my apartment, although it really doesn't feel alone alone. It doesn't feel lonely. First of all, I'm very lucky that my university reacted fast and so I continue my studies online. 
and I work as a language teacher, which I also do online. And uh, every day at eight, the community sort of gets together, claps, and, uh, you know, it's, you can feel the vibe of the community here, even from your window, which is very nice. So I live on the 10th floor and there's no balcony, um, which is my biggest regret. I really wish I could at least feel the wind, but open window is the only thing. But yeah, no, th there's no balcony. So it really is just open window at eight, clapping, close the window. This is it. It's lovely, actually. <laughs> um, we got home on, on the same day the, the clocks moved forward for British summertime. Um, so you could say it was well-timed and we're kind of quite pleased to be home. The, the rules are a lot more relaxed here. So though uh, my partner and I are quarantining for 14 days, we're still able to go out for exercise and we're really close to um, some quite rural walking areas and the seafront as well, because we live in Brighton. So quite easy to keep space from people, but also be out for like an hour's exercise a day. It's really nice compared to Peru, where we were kind of cooped up in our apartment the whole day um, with a dodgy internet connection. So it's, it's kind of kind of quite nice. We're also we're staying with family as well, um, who kindly picked us up from the airport and have let us move in with them to quarantine rather than being in our own apartment. I just I like hanging out in my apartment. I like being with my husband and my cat. And so working from home, which is, first of all, just a privilege in the first place that I am very fortunate to be able to do. Uh, it just, it doesn't seem very weird. I think the times when I realize how strange it is, is when I do have to go outside to go to the grocery store, but, you know, maybe check in after the end of like in four weeks or something when I've, I've been here for twice as long. We'll see. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't been isolating, so I've been able to leave the house occasionally for groceries. And so it's been like a slow progression. And really, my only point of reference is the grocery store. So it's like, how is the grocery store going to be different every time I go? And it started with like one bottle of hand sanitizer at the front, which turned into like stickers on the floor telling you where to stand in line, which turned into like these plexiglass screens between you and the teller. It's just like progressively become more and more intense. It really, really, people stopped going places when they announced that they're going to fine us and that we have Guardia Civil, which is the army, um, making sure that everybody's really following the rules. A lot of people here are living with uh, big groups of families in very confined spaces. But like for me personally, because I live alone um, and like I don't even have to like look at my delivery guy. And like, you know, he'll knock the door and I'll just be like, just leave it there. And then he'll be like, okay. <laughs> and it's just like, it, for me, I think it's been a great, uh, a great source of um, just like reflection and spending time by myself. And um, it's, it's, it's actually okay. And it's doing great for the environment, right? It's doing great things for the environment. <laughs> like the pollution is less. So how is it, how has it been being in your house all the time so far uh when we got home yeah i mean we we woke up the next day and 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 luckily um uh, my sister-in-law was who, who's absolutely amazing had ordered us some groceries and it showed up uh 
just after we arrived. So we put the kids to bed, groceries arrived, we cleaned those and put those away. And then, uh, and so we had a little bit of food when we came home and then, and then we just kind of hunkered down and woke up the next morning and found out our water heater was broken. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> which sucks when you realize that you've got another 13 days of isolation ahead of you. And then today I just left the house for the, you know, it was day 15 and left the house for the very first time since we got home. And it was a surreal, weird experience heading to the hardware store to buy a water heater. And, uh, it was, you know, I, I hadn't really seen how the world was working after after uh locking myself in my house for so long and then you know kind of seeing the you know the spaces in line where people are standing six feet apart and you're what you know you go to turn down an aisle in the hardware store and then there's somebody else at the other end of the aisle and you both look at each other and say okay which one of us is going to turn around and take another aisle (laughs) Because you don't want two people down the same aisle in a in a hardware store, so it was it was a it was a mind trip. I read this amazing think piece recently, and well, it wasn't a think piece; it was an interview with a a grief counselor, and he talked about how many of us are just beginning to realize that this will have a long-term impact and really a lot of us are grieving we're grieving the fact that our lives as we knew them will likely not return in exactly the same way and it's also he mentioned and this is a bit dark but i think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of lives are going to be lost and so we're almost going into a state of advanced grieving we're grieving what's about to to come which is really I've realized and I'm doing it right now I'm talking with someone I've never spoken with before about this fact and I think it's very scary but like we're all united in a sense that we're all facing this at the same time collectively and he talks about that too in this article about how we're sort of in this like collective grief together as societies as little bubbles of society around the world yeah, people have been using that term alone together a lot. Um, and I've seen it, I guess, more used in, hey guys, we're having like a Zoom dance party or something. But I think the sentiment is the same where we're all feeling very lonely. We're all feeling alone. We're all processing a lot of different emotions and feelings about what is happening. But it's all happening in our own little apartment or our our house. So how have you been feeling with knowing that this is likely going to be lasting a long time? I think strangely, I think, um, I think I feel like very safe. I've, I've always felt really safe being in Hong Kong and I'm still kind of from a pandemic wise, I feel quite confident that Hong Kong will, have it okay as long as people are they stay vigilant being able to go to our parents house, being able to see our grandparents we can't see our grandparents because you know just the fear of if we don't know if we do have it because we don't have any symptoms even getting them affected like it affects everybody but it is making people be more aware and making people be honestly caring human beings and I love that at first I was all right because I was busy then I had like a little crisis because I actually booked a flight 
first I was looking through the options of going home through repatriations because all direct flights were cancelled. Um, I wasn't able to do that. And then I booked a commercial flight to Amsterdam, but they cancelled it last minute. So that cancellation and changing and trying to get home but not being able to was kind of, that was the low point. But by now, I feel like I'm so used to it. I don't even know why I would go, why I would go out anymore, you know? Like, it gets, it's, it's become so normal. I think that I, you're like a little bit ahead of Katie and I right now where we're still adjusting to this, like, new life. So it actually makes me feel really hopeful that you can just adjust to it eventually. What is something that you do, that you've been doing at home that makes you feel happy or is like a form of escapism? Are there any habits you've picked up in this new life? So my favorite, favorite part of the day is at around 3.30 to 4 when it's sunny day because I have one whole wall, which is a window, and the sun comes through it. And so I sit near the window just trying to get any sunshine possible on me um, and reading a book if I have time, if I have to work, then I just sit wishing I was sitting there. I love it. Um, okay, what is the family favorite quarantine snack right now interestingly enough we we were uh we were online we saw a friend of ours post this recipe for these uh three ingredient or four ingredient bagels we've been whipping those up like every day and we're just putting different toppings on them and making these fresh bagels and it's amazing they taste so good we just we can't stop eating them I, ne I, ne I never thought like my quarantine happy place would be like making homemade bagels, but apparently, apparently that's where my life is now. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm noticing like this is a funny question to ask people because everyone has an answer for it. This sounds ridiculous, but I feel like I've rediscovered physical books and I w was always listening to audiobooks before. But I, uh, yeah, I just happened on the trip in Ireland. I had gone into a bookstore and picked up something there that was, uh, they were celebrating Women's Women's Month or International Women's Day. And so I picked something up there and I really just enjoy at the end of the day, a physical book in my lap. And so I am going to hopefully be looking to support my local bookstore and maybe buying a couple books from them and having them shipped here. I've done the same, actually. It's like, I was such an audiobook fiend. Obviously, I'm a podcast fiend as well. But it's just something like, it's just, I think it's like the fact that now most of my life revolves around using technology. It's nice to step away from that into like a physical book. Yeah, something about holding it. And I know I have a friend who loves her Kindle, but I just, I like turning a page. You know, there's some, it's just different. <laughs> so I, I have discovered books, which have brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah. Every week feels very different to me so far. It's very strange. I'm like settling into it more. But at the same time, like I'll admit this week felt, I just felt like sad in a new kind of way. I don't know. 
It's really interesting because like, because it's so easy and I'm doing the same. I'm working from home. Luckily I work for an e-commerce company. So we were already like very well set up to work remote. And a lot of our Slack channel discussions are about how we are, yeah, we're working from home, but like we're working from home while a pandemic is happening. And that's not quite the same. as just working from home. And it's interesting to think about it that way because, yeah, it's hard to focus a lot of the time because I just find myself like refreshing the news every 30 minutes. (laughs) I totally hear you on that. I've actually had to kind of select a certain time of the day for maybe just 30 minutes where I consume news. And then other than that, I really can't pay too much attention to it not because I I you know ignorance is bliss but just because otherwise I can't focus I feel very stressed about it and uh, it's just it honestly it weighs me down too much so I want to be informed but I I know that if I don't put those kind of restraints on myself that I would just spend the whole day on Twitter looking at all sorts of different news Mm -hmm. it's easy to get sucked into it So obviously travel is on hold now, which I don't know about you, but it's felt a little heartbreaking to me. It's such a trivial thing to be upset about. I know that so many people right now are faced with real hardship. And so for me to sit here and be mourning the travel that has now been canceled for the next few months, I don't know, it feels very silly, but... I also feel like it's important to just acknowledge that we do feel this way. And I'm actually hearing now that a lot of people are saying like international travel may be off the table for between six months and a year, which is scary to think about. So do you have any thoughts or like feelings about what travel will look like after this? It's obvious that the industry has been impacted, everything from small businesses to tourism boards to airlines. But how do you think we will rebuild after this? I'm mostly optimistic. I think people are going to come out of this really wanting to get away. The problem is that I think we're going to be coming out of this and a lot of people will not have the funds to do so because they have been let go or because they just, you know, didn't have as much or any work during the pandemic. So I think that things might shift a little bit more towards local tourism. So kind of exploring your own backyard. And I think that would, that will be the first big step is, is people being a lot more aware of like what is around them and for, for, you know, being in the United States, just exploring Los Angeles is a huge city. It's, I mean, it's enormous. You can drive sometimes for an hour and a half and still be in the city of Los Angeles. So I think it will be a lot more focused on staycations and, and from there, then we can build up to maybe further destinations. But I do feel like this travel someday mentality and like dreaming of faraway places is going to be something 
that we'll have to satisfy the the long, faraway place wanderlust for a bit, and then maybe more local local stuff is where it's going to be at. Yeah, I, I'm getting the same sense, especially because they're saying that international borders will likely be closed. So therefore, domestic travel will be the only option, potentially. I think in the short term, it sucks. Uh, I don't think there's not really any way to get around that. I mean, everyone is, is feeling the punch of it and, and will be for a while in the long term. I think it'll be a slow progression back to normality. Uh, I anticipate that, you know, domestic travel is going to, is going to bounce back first. And even that I imagine is going to be a slow progression and international travel, will be kind of opened up for the people who are, uh, I don't know if brave is the right, uh, right word to use, but ballsy enough to, to go out and, and, and see what's happening, you know, outside their own country. Uh, I hope to see it bounce back fast. You know, what I, what I think I'd love to see what everyone would love to see, which is, which is, you know, them to find a cure or a vaccine for this so that, you know the people who have been sick or haven't been sick can can go out without concern. But in 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 all honesty, I you know I don't know what the reality of that is. So I love traveling Canada. I I, I do a large portion of my travel uh, domestically. You know, exploring. You know, last last summer I was in Manitoba. You know, I've been you know I've been to every province and every territory in the country and. And I absolutely love travel in Canada. I think the biggest limitation here is that travel in Canada is ridiculously expensive. Um, I've never, I've never been to a country where domestic flights are are more expensive than international flights. And I hope that we can look at the situation as it comes down and say, hey, if you know, we can rely on our own citizens to go in and explore the places within the country, then we should try to make that accessible for them so that they can do that and they can spend that money in the smaller communities and, you know, places like Newfoundland or, or, you know, anywhere on the East coast, which is, you know, everywhere on the East coast is incredible or, you know, in, in, you know, even Northern Ontario or all the, all the amazing places that are so difficult to reach. Uh, But, certainly could do with that boost of income. I would love to see that. And I, I think that would be an awesome way to to get the economy moving, especially if we can't rely on that income from international travelers coming here. And, you know, the, the, there's no there's no other way to look at it and say that that will be a financial hit for a lot of people because, you know, we take in a lot of international travelers from you know whether it's the Americas or Asia or Europe, and and very little of that money is going to be coming in. So unless we can figure out how to spread out the income that we have within the country, then then it's going to be some lean times for a lot of people. It's tough, and it's tough for everyone. I mean, so many people have lost jobs, and and that's going to affect what people can do when this is all over. I mean, everyone would you know, loves the idea of saying. I would, you know, I'm going to bounce back and I'm going to travel across Canada and spend all my money when, when this is all over. But if we get out of this and we're in a depression because the economy sucks and, you know, half the people lost their jobs, 
then that's going to make it hard. But I also recognize that the economy is is like a trampoline and it's going to bounce back and it might take a couple of years for it to fully recover. But when it does, it's going to hit that normalcy again. Those restaurants are going to open and you know, the small towns are going to start seeing tourism again and the airlines are going to start overcharging us again. And, and, all, you know, all the other, all the other amazing things that happen with travel and that, you know, all, all, all the, all the cruise, all the dirty cruise lines will be out there pumping their crap into the oceans again and, and all that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's it, all the, all the great and terrible things that make tourism so amazing. Uh, we're going to see them again. It just, it just might take a while. And, and I think we all just need to hold strong and stand together and, and support your neighbors in order to make sure that we all make it through this uh, as unscathed as possible. Actually, um, it's interesting. So we've asked this question to everyone that we've spoken to for this particular episode. And a lot of people do say that they think domestic travel will be the first to reemerge. And so with that in mind, um, do you think that that there's like, I don't want to say like, oh, that's a positive thing, but that's sort of like a, a unintentional benefit to our local economies? Because, and I'll give an example, like my partner and I were meant to be traveling all spring, and now that is canceled. And now we're thinking, okay, international travel may be off the table for the foreseeable future. So maybe now we're going to pivot and we'll explore the East coast of Canada, assuming that it's safe to do so. And it's kind of interesting because we don't, we typically opt to go abroad. (laughs) I'm like kind of embarrassed at how little we travel within Canada. So in a way this is like forcing us to focus inward. And I actually think like that is a good thing. Whoever's watching the news is probably very terrified in terms of what's happening in the hospitality and tourism industry, um, we get we we get numbers which are changing pretty much every day, and uh, they are scary. Up to seventy five million jobs in this tourism alone is in risk, and most of those people who have their jobs in risk have already lost them. Um, we see UNWTO recently set. Um, We've lost five to seven years of progress in tourism in terms of uh, the numbers and the infrastructure that we had in place. So all of this makes it seem like tourism is gone. Aviation industry, all of this is just, they're really suffering. And uh, yes, it's great for the environment and great for the climate, but we also need to think about the small communities that it impacts and about individuals and about other things Um, But for the future of the tourism industry, I remain quite positive um, because the industry is very resilient. Only in 20th century, we had so many things that could have potentially brought it down. Like we had um, the terrorist attacks, many of them in many countries. We had the 2008 crisis, um, insecurities, but tourism continues and in fact, there's like your last episode, it was very interesting about the dark tourism uh, where sometimes people really are attracted to danger. So even this danger element, which I'm not saying we 
have big, you know, we are going to have big dendro element after this is over. But even this little hint of dendro, little hint of something unknown might actually spark interest in many travelers. Um, so I do think that it's going to take a while for tourism to get back on its feet and it's going to impact greatly small businesses. Bigger businesses, of course, have more liquidity, have more cash available to survive this. Small businesses might not. Um, so to support them, really, if you can and if you have a trip booked, don't cancel. Just postpone. Um, I'm sure many people will be many businesses will be open to allowing you to choose a later date when this is over because they need the money now. They need to, honestly, Spain, like tourism is so huge here. I can't even, it, you know, it's just the idea of empty streets, even though it's happening right now, it's still so hard to believe because it's just Madrid. How can this have ever happened? But it's happening. I I just will say that I am really excited to see the recovery of the travel industry after this. Um, and I would tell, especially travel bloggers, industry people, all of that, like, let's think about how we can all reshape and rebuild. We're all here to help each other and think about the different people that you can hire, the different people who you can partner with to just get us back all on our feet. I've been thinking a lot about how to support bloggers, obviously because I am one. And so I've, I've been putting effort into continuing to browse people's sites and clicking links and just like behaving like I would have. What, like, how are you, are you feeling positive that like everything will just bounce back in a few months when people can get back to traveling? If we can get back to traveling, how do you feel about like the future of travel, but also about the industry of like bloggers and influencers and also like tourism agencies? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. My traffic's also taken a, taken a real nosedive um, since the situation. I think there's this odd feeling as well um, as someone who predominantly writes about travel that it's, it's really, it feels really out of place and difficult to be writing about travel and positioning articles in a in a you know in a time like this. I don't. I, there still seems to be some engagement though of people needing the escapism of travel and planning for the future and thinking ahead of like, well, when this is all over, where am I going to go in the world? Kind of uh, vibe. So I think there is there's some positivity to come from it as well. All, all travel industry people just saw the decline just go. It was like a slow falling building. And then when it hit, it hit hard. But I am optimistic that we will all bounce back. I'm so ready for recovery campaigns. I'm just like, this is going to be great. And one thing that I have been sending to people who I have authentic relationships with in a, either tourism board or a travel brand, I just told them, like, I'm not looking for any money from you. I just want to know how you need me to help post coronavirus because you're going to need my help. I know this. And let's figure out a way to get people to your destinations once we can travel again. I also think it's a great opportunity for the travel blogging community, the travel blogging, travel influencer community to update their things, to, to create, you know, new posts. 
um, to be updating any writing that they haven't done so they can get it out now. So when the time comes and people are going or looking to them for recommendations, all of their sites are up to date. I mean, I went through my site the other day and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, when's the last time you even added to this or changed things? Like you really need to go and do it. And now we have the time, right? Like we have nothing but time. So I'm like, use it to your advantage. And I understand that, you know, it's hard to be productive when you're working from home. It's hard to be productive when you're looking at the same four walls every day when you can't get on a plane and that's how you're used to you you're used to living your life. But we have to come to a place where we're okay with our new normal and figure out a way through it and figure out a way through it together. I think it's great what I've seen just with everybody hopping on Zoom calls, with everybody, you know, doing Instagram lives. Like, I think it's been great the way we've been able to come together as a community because everything is going everything is happening to all of us at the same time. This is the first time like celebrities and regular people or celebrities and the and your average Joe are going through the same exact thing. None of us can leave. So it causes all of us to be creative. Um, and I just know afterwards, like we'll literally all be happy again. We'll still see a boost in tourism go up. People will get their jobs back and everybody's going to want to be at of the house even even my grandmother is like where are we going and I'm just like I know that's right girl pack your bag and be ready because as soon as they lift this we're going somewhere so yeah I, I do believe that money will be injected back into the industry and this will also cause us how to troubleshoot for times like this from now on um so many of us have had to change the way we do things and so now we know that it can happen and it and it will happen and when it does happen how we navigate through this I always tell people like turn tragedy to triumph there's a way to do it like nobody said any of this was going to be easy but thing about it is we have the resources and tools to be able to go through this together i love the community aspect of it all i am ready to get out of the house but like i tell people all the time thank god we're not in the middle of a snowstorm and if we need to just step outside on our front porch and walk around the block we can do that so there's still so many more advantages to being safe at home than to being stuck at home and yeah i i see it as an opportunity instead of something that is just completely horrible. Well, to end on a positive note, tell us about your cat and how your relationship with your cat has potentially changed now that you and your cat spend much more time together. I can speak from experience. (laughs) I understand my cats so much better now. You know, he was actually, this was ridiculous. He was sick, like, maybe a week ago. So I had to take him to the vet. He was very, very ill. And the vet had changed the way that they did their services. So it was like drop-off service. So you would pull into the parking lot and call them. And someone would come out and pick up your pet and then go back in. And then the vet would call you and talk about the issues. But it just felt like a like, you know, one of those drive-in restaurants or something where people are, you know, on roller skates and they're like dropping off dogs and stuff. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I, I'm very happy that they were able to pivot and like make it work. But uh, it's been it's been wonderful being home, and uh, honestly, it's been a chance to see that he actually does just sleep all day. That's all he does. I thought maybe he was more active, but he just sleeps in various places. 
These conversations reassured me that although most of us are facing unique challenges at the moment, we are all in this together, and I'm hopeful that there is a future for travel. On April 22nd, Fox released an article written by travel journalist Sarah Khan. She argues that when travel becomes a possibility again, it's going to look different. We can't fully predict the future because the situation is always evolving, but here are some points that Sarah makes that I think are worth noting. When travel restarts, there will likely be different restrictions on borders, and flying might involve medical tests. We may continue to have to quarantine on arrival. We can also expect that travelers will avoid busy cities, which might result in interest in rural areas around the globe. Beyond logistics, I'm feeling that this lockdown might be an opportunity for a sort of reset in the way we travel. We may emerge with more sustainable and more responsible approaches to tourism, hopefully both on the individual and the industry level. We might see more travelers embracing slow travel, since border crossings will be more challenging. One thing is certain. Right now, we have the time to take a break from globetrotting and to think about how, when we go back to it, we can travel better. So right now, let's take this break to appreciate the adventures we've been privileged to have and think about how we can use this privilege to do good in the future. Alpaca pals, right now we have to stay home, but don't worry. We will all get to alpaca our bags again soon. Hopefully sometime soon. Alpaca My Bags is hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lohr here in Toronto. If you guys liked today's episode, let us know by leaving a review. To do that, just tap the review tab in the Apple Podcast app and then leave us five stars. I mean, assuming you think we deserve it uh, and also a review. Um, Doing this really helps us in the charts and it helps us reach more people with this podcast. So if you want to find us, just head to Instagram or Twitter and look up at Alpaca My Bags Pod and feel free to reach out and say hi because we love hearing from you alpaca pals. Until next time, I hope you get to alpaca your bags soon and remember, take that train instead of the plane. <laughs>